Somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Muddle. Mighty Casey has What is up, everybody? Welcome back. It is Mudville, and I'm your host, Nolan Rabine, and today we have an incredibly special episode as we are previewing the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball for the 2024 season and beyond, and comparing and contrasting some of the consensus industry lists that have come out over the past couple weeks and I am very excited to welcome back onto the podcast, Mr. Prospect Sauce. It is Nick Chalmers. How are you, my friend? What is going on? I am good. I am hyped to be here, talk some prospects. Spring training is starting up. We're going to have games in a couple of days. We're going to see some of these guys in action going to be a blast man i'm so excited for baseball season you said it and before we get to any of this congratulations on your top 250 prospects list that just released uh i will certainly link to that in the description although of course we will be breaking it down in full that list got me through my day and the baseball heads out there are certainly in for a treat if they have not read it already i appreciate it Absolutely. Yeah, it was um, definitely a labor of love. I'm not going to lie. A lot of a lot of research, a lot of film study, a lot of stat kind of comparisons went into it. I've been sitting on it for like two months now. Um, so I was pretty happy to publish it. I battle tested it in, in some startups and some FYPDs. So it's um, it's hopefully it's 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 good. People like it. I feel like the minute you put out a list, you kind of regret it um, immediately. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at right now. But yeah. For those who are not familiar, Nick specializes his rankings through the lens of Dynasty Fantasy Baseball points leagues, which typically means that players with a better eye at the plate or more projectable power will tend to get a bump. A couple of the rankings, you know, may seem a little bit skewed, but uh, I always like to, you know, give everybody a chance to kind of explain why you know, talk about their own processes and how they build their list. So, uh, Nick, do you want to just uh, give us a little bit of insight as to, you know, how you took the approach as to differentiate between, like, real life and fantasy skills for, for some of these players when you're making your list? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it does come down to a few key tools, hit tools, certainly. So I love to see a guy who's selective at the plate, doesn't chase, and seems to have good breaking ball recognition, especially. So like a guy like Carson Williams, for instance, he's an excellent defender at shortstop, but I find him to be kind of expansive at the plate and doesn't necessarily have the best read on breaking pitches. Um, and I just have concerns about the overall batting average. But nonetheless, you're going to see him a lot higher in a real-life list because he's a great defender at shortstop. He has speed. He plays a premium position. Um, 
Other thing I like to look at is honestly just like overall offensive upside. Um, I, I really, I think especially in leagues where it's not so deep, right? So like super deep fantasy leagues where maybe a thousand players are rostered, you do want those high floor players. But anything like, you know, five, six hundred, which typically tends to be the player pool in a lot of fantasy leagues out there um, for Dynasty Baseball, I, I tend to really value upside. I want offensive upside. I want big power. I want good hit tools. Um, and I'm willing to take chances on players at the lower levels, whereas a real-life list um, kind of hedges the bet of the attrition rate of the lower-level prospects and the risk that there is with them, especially guys coming over maybe from the, the DR. Um, I'm willing to just to kind of take those chances because those are the types of profiles that turn into top five, 10, 20 prospects in two years. Absolutely. I feel like the skill sets that we target when we're making our list for fantasy um, really highlight the tools that are also becoming more and more valuable to general managers around baseball when uh, evaluating players. You know, like I think of those Dominican Summer League rookie ball type guys who you would see traded in the 2010s for like veteran pitchers and then we would end up with those infamous deals with like Fernando Tatis being traded for James Shields or Jordan going for Josh Fields. Deals that are huge negative marks on the legacies of the executives who signed off on them. I think you've seen a lot of course correction in the uh, trading market for for some of those guys and like those are also the guys who we try to target to get in on super early like every summer when they start popping off and like we want to get in early so that we can try to trade them for veterans or whatever it's like i feel like one way or another um certain trends in fantasy baseball find a way to reflect what um executives are valuing now in some of these like 16 17 year old guys that they're <laughs> really starting to break down but no more chit chat let's just get right into these lists we're going to be going through the fan graphs top 100 uh the mlb.com pipeline top 100 and finally nick's own top 250 as much as we would love to discuss the rankings given to us by baseball america and baseball prospectus those are both behind paywalls, and we do have to respect that. So, unfortunately, we will not be able to use those as reference points in today's episode. But I think we've got more than enough to talk about with these three lists. And without further ado, let's just get right into the top ten, because that is what the people have been waiting for. If you go through these lists, there really seems to be a tier of four towards the top, uh, with the one exception of uh, the pipeline list here. Those four guys, uh, Jackson Holiday, Jackson Churio, Wyatt Langford, and Junior Caminero. Uh, Nick, you have them ranked uh, Holiday, Langford, Churio, Caminero. Why don't we make these the first four guys that we talk about today, and uh, why don't we start with the consensus number one prospect across all three of these lists, Jackson Holiday, the shortstop for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I think that um, from a real-life baseball standpoint, there's just no better prospect, in my opinion, to build around. So I do rank for fantasy baseball, um, and in 
by rankings, he's number one. But if I was ranking real life, he would be number one as well. I mean, it, it's an up-the-middle profile, so extremely valuable. Um, he, he can play a solid shortstop. He may break into the Orioles at second base sometime this spring or summer. Um, and as he ages, I, I think that he could easily move to second base um, and be a really good defender at the Keystone. Uh, it's just an unbelievable plate approach and contact ability. And I think that one one thing that people are really kind of questioning is the power with Jackson Holiday. I'm not really worried about it long term. I think he has a very projectable frame. I think he's post. I know he's posted very good exit velocity numbers in the minor leagues. And I I do think that as he continues to grow into his body and fill out his projectable frame, that we will see more in-game power. Um, I think he's an absolute superstar in the making and a potential MVP candidate. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and what about the other Jackson, Mr. Churio, who just signed an uh, eight-year, $80 million extension with the Milwaukee Brewers before he even played a game? I'm so excited to see Churio. I think that the extension means we see him in, in Milwaukee, hopefully on opening day if he per- performs this spring. Um, this is, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but like this is the five-tool profile that truly can turn into a superstar and one of the, the five best players in the game. Um, it could be a Tatis or an Acuna. Light, not, I'm not saying that he's going to be Acuna or Tatis, but it could be that kind of profile. Um, it's, it's power to all fields. I mean, his hands are so fast. And he's a, his ability to kind of just spray pitches to the right center field gap as a right-handed hitter, um, it's really rare for a teenager to be able to do that kind of thing. It's plus or better speed. He plays a, a really good center field. I think he's an absolute gamer. Um, he's He is a little bit aggressive at the plate, as to be expected with a teenager playing in the upper levels of the minor leagues, in my opinion. Yeah, overall, uh, Jackson Churio, if I was ranking for real life, would be number two because of the defensive value and the offensive value as well. I mean, he he's a, another potential superstar. No doubt about it. Absolutely, man. And I wanted to start with those two guys just because I feel like they're sort of connected in the way that we have viewed them over the past year. Holiday, of course, being that number one overall pick in 2022. And then that draft was, of course, right around the time that Churio really started popping off and catching eyes and flying up draft boards. So the ascension of these guys both coming towards the like start to middle of 2022 we've watched them ascend together certainly um and now it seems like they're both about to break camp with the teams out of spring training this year churio certainly after they've committed that money to him but jackson holiday this week also saying that he is as ready as he can possibly be to make the opening day roster and some speculation about whether they might slot him in at second you know quite a few rumors there surrounding those two guys um you know something else that i wanted to bring up about jackson holiday who we've of course been talking about as the consensus number one prospect and who has been 
for the past year. That's a very different scenario to where we were a year ago today. You know, when you and I were talking quite a bit about like where we were going to to draft these guys in some of our first year rookie drafts, um, and it was more of a one A one B situation with Holiday and Drew Jones of the uh, Diamondbacks, where you know when depending on when your draft was last year, if you had one of the earlier drafts. You probably saw Drew Jones go number one before Holiday sort of started to pass him in the consensus. But like, there's really no denying that those two were neck and neck in everyone's minds, like as recently as last offseason. And now it's super easy to forget about that now that Jackson Holiday has been just a phenom over the past year and Jones has fallen off boards quite a bit but like it just really goes to show how fast the opinions on these guys can change and the projections can go from like Acuna or Tatis light like we're talking about for Churio to wondering if a guy's even going to be able to hit in like the big leagues. When you're talking about these guys, that's just really something that you always have to be aware of. And, you know, one of the main things to talk about when talking about prospects is how some of these tools are going to project against big league pitching. Uh, and Holiday and Churio specifically, I think, have some of these special skill sets that project to thrive in the big leagues for a, a very long time. The next guy that I want to bring up is Wyatt Lankford, who I do think is in this tier with Holiday and Churio, certainly from an offensive and fantasy perspective. You know, he might even be number one if we're only looking at the bat. But Lankford is a guy who uh, his defense is questionable. He's certainly not going to be slotting in at center field they would certainly love to run him out there and left uh which is the most likely landing spot for him but there's also some dh risk there so uh how do you compare a guy like that to these top two players sort of the difference with the glove and the advantage with the bat how do you weigh those two things against each other yeah, I mean, I, I think that the most important skill is the hit tool. So, you know, when we talk about the five tools of a baseball player, it doesn't really matter how tooled up you are, how fast you can run, how good of a defender you are, if you can't hold your own at the plate. Luckily, like for this top four, um, really, they all have really solid hit tools. I don't have any hit tool concerns about Jackson Holiday or Jackson Chorio. But Wyatt Langford um, certainly is in the same tier as a hitter, if not higher, as you said. It, I think he's a plus hitter. Um, you know, it's c- certainly a, a, an, o- an OBP centric um, game where it's going to be a lot of a lot of walks, a lot of home runs. I, I think that the batting average though will be will be there for him too. But it's really going to be that kind of OBP profile for for Wyatt Langford. The power is unbelievably impressive i I have a a 70 grade on his power so i have him as a double plus power hitter i think he's a middle of the order beast i think what you said is spot on with his defensive concerns it's left field at best and you never like to see a 22 year old that far down on the on the defensive spectrum right so 
it's only going to kind of go to first base or DH from there. And it, it shouldn't matter, though. When he's when he's 28 years old, 30 years old, I mean, he's going to be still raking, I think, if, if all goes to plan for Wyatt Langford. So he's certainly in, in the top tier of prospects. I, I, I don't think he has a case for number one overall because of the defensive concerns from a real-life baseball perspective, but you feel really good about the hit tool and the power. Absolutely. Lastly, for this first tier of four, we have Junior Caminero from the Rays, who looked to slot in at third base. Potentially, that could be called into question by the ongoing Wander Franco debacle that they are dealing with down in Tampa. Um, Of course, Carson Williams, another big-time shortstop prospect for the Rays we mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, And then certainly can't forget about those guys that they've got blocking them in the the big leagues, whether that be (laughs) Jose Caballero, who they just traded for from Seattle, or Ahmed Rosario, who they just signed to a super cheap one-year contract today. But we are here to talk about Caminero. Nick, how do you think he is going to slot in with the Rays both this year and moving forward? Uh, I know it's the Rays, so they might do some weird Rays shit with him and keep him down for a while. But uh, this is a guy with a really huge bat and all the upside in the world. It's the freaking Rays. I, I, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually think that, that narrative is like a little bit overblown. Uh, I think the guys who have come up through the Rays who can prove to hit both right-handed and left-handed pitching and at least hold their own defensively have found full-time jobs. Um, like Randy Orozarena, Wander previously, um, Yandy Diaz. I, 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 he's an absolute offensive force. I talked about you know Jackson Chorio's opposite field power as a teenager and Junior Caminero's opposite field power is even better. It's, it's potentially 80-grade raw power. His exit velocity data is up there with the very best in baseball. His hit tool is not a 60 or a 70 on the, you know, 20 to 80 scouting sale, but certainly I would say a 55, uh, really good contact ability. He is a little bit um, aggr- over aggressive and expansive of the strike zone, but he's 20 years old and he was facing triple a double a hitting all year long and got a little cup of coffee in the big. So overall, I mean, this is a potential Adrian Beltre kind of player in my opinion, uh, where it's just an you know an overwhelming offensive force, even though it will be at a corner position, probably third base. There was one notable exception to that being the uh, consensus top tier, and that, of course, is because MLB.com's pipeline list ranked Wyatt Langford at six, and uh, they had Paul Skeens, the top pitching prospect in the game, and last year's number one overall pick for the Pittsburgh Pirates at number three. You also have Skeens as your number one pitching prospect, uh, but you've got him down at 11, which seems to be, I don't want to say more um, accurate, but a little bit closer to the uh, consensus and possibly a little bit more conservative for a guy who is referred to so often as the best pitching prospect we'd seen in college since Steven Strasburg. What do you make of that small difference in the rankings for Skeens? Where do you project him this year and how do you think his uh arsenal is going to translate to the pros 
there's a lot there. Um, where do I project him for this year? Honestly, I don't know. Um, there's certainly plenty of opportunity in Pittsburgh, but I think I'd actually like to see Skeens develop a little bit more in the minor leagues. I don't think he's quite ready from just from what we saw in the small pro sample and all the tinkering with the arsenal that the Pirates seem to be doing, um, kind of like messing with his fastball shape a little bit. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it just it kind of it kind of signals to me that the Pirates don't necessarily view him as a you know 2024 impact arm. Certainly, he could be knocking down the door come June, and he makes like 15 starts in the big leagues. Not going to rule that out, but I don't know where the 2024 outlook is there for Skeens. And uh, you know, as it com- when it comes to the Arsenal and the stuff and the pitcher with Paul Skeens, I think it's as good as it gets for a pitching prospect. Personally, um, emphasis on the word pitching prospect because you know we we talked before in some of the other episodes that I've been on with you how volatile and risky uh, the, the demographic is as a whole. It, it really can come down to an injury or just, you know, a, a slight degradation of stuff where it just changes the entire profile for a pitching prospect. It can certainly go the other way where, you know, a new pitch or a, a tweak in mechanics can really make a pitching prospect go from a relative unknown to a top prospect. So I just caution a little bit with Skeens. I'm a little worried that the Pirates are tinkering this early i don't know i've I've heard some stuff where the fastball shape maybe doesn't play super well it's a little bit kind of like a two-seamer sinker instead of that like you know sexy four-seamer at the top of the zone with a ton of vertical life it's still a you know an absolute wipeout slider it's it's a change up that is i think flash plus um he doesn't use it a lot at least he did in the lsu because he didn't need to long story short skeins i think is a stud um if it all goes right but again it could it could go wrong <laughs> of course um when something does go wrong for a seemingly can't miss pitching prospect like that it usually has something to do with the developmental strategy within the team's organization and that has been a problem in the past for the Pittsburgh Pirates but do you think that Maybe the Pirates pitching development is getting a little bit better as of late with some guys like Bubba Chandler and Jared Jones starting to get some more attention, as well as the Southpaw, Anthony Solomedo. And I think we're both in on their recent high school draft pick, uh, Xander Mueth, as well. Is this just a bunch of talented arms who managed to find their way into the same organization? Or uh, perhaps could there be some fire where we are noticing this smoke? Yeah, I think there's fire. I think Ben Charrington's doing a really good job, not only targeting talented pitching, but developing in pro ball. Bubba Chandler came in as a two-way prospect out of high school, and he ditched hitting and focused solely on pitching for the first time last year, and the results were fantastic. It, I mean, and he has the arsenal that, like, the Rays, the Dodgers, the Mariners, these top, quote-unquote, pitching factories covet. Uh, it's not just this, like, you know, two-seamer slider guy throwing 90 miles an hour. It's, you know, 97, 98 at the top of the zone and a really good breaking ball. Same goes with Jared Jones. But he has that, that modern fastball um, with, like, that low release point that kind of like a Brian Wu or an Emmett Sheehan showed this year as rookies. And I think that uh, Jared Jones could certainly follow in that path, too. I'm buying the Pirates as a, a pitching development organization to an extent. I want to see it at the big leagues, certainly, but I, I'm really encouraged by the results thus far in the minors. 
Skeens would be the first name in a group that I think could be comfortably called Tier 2. Uh, you've actually got Skeens in your own personal Tier 3. Why don't we move on to this 5 through 10 grouping here and talk about some guys, starting with your number 5, Pipeline's number 5, and Fancraft's number 12. That is Evan Carter, World Series champion already from the Texas Rangers, a guy we saw get called up towards the end of the 2023 regular season. Uh, We saw his elite plate skills, one of the odds-on favorites for Rookie of the Year, and a guy whose profile seemingly would play perfectly in a Dynasty Points League. Let me ask you, why did you put uh, Evan Carter at number five here, up from number nine the last time you put out a list? of these ranks i'm buying i I don't know maybe it's corny but i I am buying the postseason um experience and performance that he showed it was really impressive it's played skills beyond his years a really good hit tool i think it's pull side power that is underrated right i think that pull side power as a skill I, i buy that like i buy the ability to kind of recognize the pitches that you can hunt and kind of cheat on them and get and put them over the fence and do damage on them I actually think that's a skill that really good hitters possess. And I think for Evan Carter, he's so good in his um, his bat-to-ball skills and his awareness of the strike zone that he's able to do that and get the most out of the power that he does have. Really, for me, it's just the fact that, as you said, he does play so well in points leagues, right, with that high OBP and the low strikeout totals and the postseason experience. The, the He showed it at the highest stage. I feel very confident in who Evan Carter is. While he may not have the highest upside on the list, I still feel like this is a perennial all-star in the making, and I'm not going to overcomplicate it. He's he's a solid top five prospect for me. Where would some of that potential upside come from, do you think? Like, if, if we were talking about a guy like Carter with Churio or Wyatt Langford, you know, who would we be looking at? Would that be a guy like Juan Soto? What would prevent Evan Carter from reaching... A level like that you know even in his like wildest dreams is it just that lack of power you think maybe not being able to get to that game breaking power yeah i think that's part of it i think that the, the raw power is probably average at the major league level maybe above average and the game power i think can play to above average because of those elite plate skills that we talked about i don't necessarily see somebody who's going to be able to consistently hit 35 you know home runs a year um i just don't see i don't i don't really see that for evan carter i I see a guy who's going to be you know at the top of the order and getting on base a ton and definitely doing selective damage when he sees fit and when the time's right but i think where the the upside could land is with the speed with evan carter if he's able to steal a lot and has like the green light and the aggressiveness on the base paths with his high obp he could be i think a 35 to 40 stolen base player and if you couple that with a 20 to 25 home run bat then you kind of have like a little mini corbin carroll profile right so i think the upside could be like more through the speed than the power with carter juan soto is just such a beast when it comes to power and that i don't think that that's an apt comparison for carter i think it could be something more like a corbin carroll or even like a jose ramirez 
I was going to say Kyle Tucker even for Carter. And that's like dream comparison for a guy like Evan Carter. And for me, that's one of the things that has made me want to put him in that second. Like for me, the, the second tier is Junior Caminero and Carter. And I've got Holiday, Jackson Churio, and Wyatt Langford in a tier of their own at the very top. And this might be a little bit simplistic, but like when you're looking at some of these guys and you're dreaming on their skill set, like what do you see when you're dreaming, right? Like I think for Carter, I see Kyle Tucker and for Junior Caminero, I see a guy like Austin Riley or maybe like a right-handed Rafi Devers. Devers case, a guy who chases more. Like it's very possible that Caminero gets to the big leagues and he's got a significantly lower walk rate than any of the other guys in that tier being Holiday, Churio, Langford, or again, Carter. Like I think especially in points leagues, um, that could diminish his upside to the point where I think there could be a noticeable difference between that superstar potential with Holiday, Churio, and Langford. Another couple guys in that 5 through 10 tier that I certainly want to talk about. Nick, are there any other players in this 5 through 10 tier here that you are super excited about and uh, you really want to talk about tonight? Uh, That would be Noel V. Marte from the Reds, Jason Dominguez from the Yankees, Walker Jenkins from the Twins, Dylan Cruz from the Washington Nationals, and Jordan Lawler from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I'll talk about Noel V. I'll talk about Noel V. Marte because I have him ranked sixth. And I think that when you're looking at like a pipeline or, or Baseball America or a fan graphs, you're probably going to see him a lot lower. Yes, Marte um, is at 21 on pipeline, 42 on uh, fan graphs. Yeah, it's because Noel V. Marte, um, if you haven't seen him play, go watch some video. He actually had some fun highlights last year. He got a little cup of coffee there in September for the Reds. He's a big dude. Like he's only like 21 years old, but he's completely yoked. Like it's it's kind of crazy. But at the same time, he has this like athleticism and speed that's like really rare for a third baseman. And he has great power too. His raw his raw power numbers and his exit velocities are excellent. And it's really just a matter for Noel V of starting to elevate the ball a little bit more and spray line drives and fly balls. For me, I just see a, a complete like offensive force with Noel V. I see a guy who's a 30-30 candidate as soon as, you know, maybe next year. This year, I think he could flirt with 2020. But, you know, 2025, I think that his prime is really going to kick into high gear. And I think in Great American Ballpark, those those skills, that power, that speed, and that lineup, they're just gonna they're gonna play. It, it's gonna accentuate the, the best parts of Noel V's game. So I just look at Noel V Marte from a fantasy lens and see an absolute offensive force. And I think from a real life lens, I would still have him pretty high. Like yes, he's a third baseman. Yes, he's big, and he may even move um, to the outfield as he ages. But I think the bat's gonna play. I think the speed's going to be there for a little bit, and the power is really tantalizing. 
I was going to ask where you think he's going to end up in the field because with that Reds team, it's not only a question of, you know, how his body is going to develop, but also with their insane depth in that infield there where they called up Ellie De La Cruz last year to play short, and then they've got more than they ever could have dreamed for out of Matt McClain or Spencer Steer like a year ago. I mean, those guys turned into some of the best rookies in the league. And then, of course, they've got Christian Encarnacion Strand they called up towards the end of last year, traded for Heimer Candelario. There are so many guys that they have to find spots for in Cincinnati. How do you think that affects Marte? Uh, do you think he's going to just go right into third base to start, or do you think it's going to be something he's going to find after a bunch of hopping around? Yeah, I, I think personally he's, I don't want to say a lock, but the bat, if he performs to expectations, I think his bat is too good to keep out of that lineup. I do I do foresee a strong possibility of him just being the everyday third baseman. I think Candelario could fit very nicely at first base, and that would allow Encarnacion Strand to kind of move to a, a designated hitter where I think he'd actually profile maybe a little bit better. Um, he's a great hitter, but not too good of a defender. And um, Matt McClain, health permitting, I know he just got like, kind of injured. I think he hurt his oblique in spring training today. But I, I definitely see him at second base long term with Elliott shortstop. And that kind of leaves Spencer Steer to float around the outfield and also pick up some spots in the infield. I still think Spencer Steer is basically an everyday player, but I see his biggest strength as as being that like utility and flexibility in the field. And that kind of leaves Jonathan India as the odd man out. So <laughs> I don't know. They need to trade India. They really do. And I think they will eventually, but you know, I kind of would have expected it to uh, happen already. But Marte, I feel like, is in somewhat of a similar position to another guy in the Pipeline top 10, and actually your top 10 as well, uh, Jordan Lawler from Arizona, another guy who got a cup of coffee last year, like you said, in September, but uh, wasn't yet trusted by the organization to get at-bats in the postseason, so like we saw him on the bench for that World Series run there, and uh, it was an also announced this week that um, Geraldo Perdomo is keeping the shortstop job to start the season in Arizona. So while we might see Marte with a bit more immediate production than Jordan Lawler, how do you see him projecting this year? Do you think he's going to be in that Arizona lineup sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think Lawler's the one that I am actually concerned about playing time with. <laughs> I mean, Geraldo Perdomo was a freaking all-star like he's a good player i mean he's a great a great love at shortstop he gets on base at a high clip as well and they just went out and traded for a eugenio suarez to play third base and of course Catel Marte is locking down second so i don't know i don't know where it goes where it goes for jordan lawler i think he still has development remaining he is um he's an interesting player where the hit tool with jordan lawler i think is average uh the power i think is average and i think the speed is certainly above average to definitely plus it's not like this super tooled up kind of player it's almost like an anthony volpe where 
it's just kind of like above average to above average across the board, but there's a really good instinctual ball player there. And I think it could be um, a little bit more time before we see Jordan Lawler like really thrive as a, as a, a key contributor for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Is he still a guy that you think has a ceiling as high as we thought it was like this time last year? Or do we maybe think that he's got flaws in his profile that will be able to be exploited throughout his career? Or is it just too early to tell? Too early to tell. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not out on Lawler. I, I really like Lawler a lot. I am questioning, like maybe the the ultimate upside there because I just don't see like a true plus tool when it comes to the power or the hit tool. I think they're both more like average to above average. So I do think that there is risk of Lawler just being risk, <laughs> just ju- just being you know sure. an above average hitter at shortstop and playing a really good shortstop. You know, I mean, I still think that this is a a really solid player long term. Um, but I think maybe the offensive upside, you know, people should temper expectations a little bit. I will say, though, from a fantasy lens, I think the speed is legit. I think he's going to steal 30 bases a year with, with ease. And I do think he'll hit like 20 to 25 home runs. But maybe he doesn't have that like true wow factor, that real like five category kind of juice to him. Well, speaking of five-category juice, uh, one of the last guys I want to talk about here in this top 10 tier, uh, a guy that I am super excited about and I've actually gotten one of our Dynasty Leagues is Dylan Cruz, the guy who we both thought was going to go number one overall in our mock draft before Pittsburgh shocked the world and took Paul Skeens. He's got one of those double-plus hit tools, I think. I mean, like you said, maybe a 60, you know, or, but hey, when you're in that conversation, what does it matter, right? But hell of a bat in the outfield there in Washington. How do you see Dylan Cruz stacking up? Does he break camp even? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't think so. They they just don't have the insane. I mean. Yeah, that's uh, true. They're going to be they, shitty. Yeah, they're going to be terrible. But, like, maybe they're just like, screw it. Like, let's just go for that, that extra pick, you know, that comp pick to if he wins rookie of the year. I'm still really high on Dylan Cruz. I know that he dropped a little bit in my rankings, but he didn't move tiers or anything like that. I just kind of decided that I liked a few guys a little bit more ahead of him. I think he's an absolute monster offensively, which you love to see. I do think he's a plus hitter. I do think he has plus or better power at the plate. The only thing I can really knock is is the, the Nationals themselves. I mean... You know, it's not been a great track record over the last four years of developing prospects for the Nationals. So you definitely have a little bit of pause, but I think Dylan Cruz has all the talent in the world to overcome it. When we talk about the Nationals' track record, who are you talking about? The only guy that I'm really seeing as a big success there recently, maybe C.J. Abrams, Like, and I was even out on him like six, eight months ago. I mean... But like it just for those who have forgotten, who are some of the busts in, in recent years sure. out of Washington? Yeah, so I mean Victor Robles um was a huge bust. He was supposed to be like a five tool center fielder. It didn't work out at all. Um Robert Hassel, they traded for him in the Juan Soto trade from San Diego. And he was once considered a top ten to twenty prospect and he's significantly decreased his stock outside of everyone's top one hundred, basically. Um, it's just, it just, they just haven't been able to 
convert talented young players into talented big leaguers. I agree with you. CJ Abrams is a win, but they didn't really develop Abrams. Like, I mean, the, the, the Padres developed him kind of, they got him as a major leaguer. Um, and even CJ has some, has a look, you know, some flaws to his game. So it's just not a great landing spot for Cruz. Um, so it, it does, it does lead to, you know, some questions about the ultimate fantasy implications of that, but it's you still got to bet on the kid, right? Like you can't let that sway your decision making too much when you're creating a list. Of course. Um, well, speaking of that organization, his teammate James Wood, another one of those guys with those insane frames, like a six 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 seven type, uh, like Ellie De La Cruz, O'Neill Cruz type body with the insane tools and the huge hole in his swing. I mean, how do you trust uh, the Nationals to develop James Wood, who you have ranked at? number 17 but uh pipeline has at 14 and fan graphs has all the way up at six yeah it's that for me is where the organization i think could impact things so like james wood for those who don't know is a hulking human he's six foot seven he has extraordinary raw power extraordinary game power he has great speed. He actually plays a really good center field despite being 6'7". It's almost like Judgian. Like, it's kind of crazy. And all that being said, he does have some hit tool concerns, like you alluded to. I wouldn't. Call, I don't know if I'd call it a hole in the swing, but you know, he's a big guy. He's a lot of lot of strike zone <laughs> there, and and he does he does certainly um, have a little bit of in zone whiff to his game, um, and and a little bit of chase. But he's per- relatively selective at the plate. And I just think that all these tools are there for a superstar, certainly with James Wood, but the Nationals are really going to need to refine that hit tool, and I just don't know if I trust them to do that. And that makes me kind of sad. Um, I really hope they do. I actually think that this is a big year for James Wood. I really want to see him dominate the upper levels of the minors this year. I'm really excited to see what he can do. But I am definitely tempering my expectations because this is a riskier profile for sure. And just going off of that a little bit, how just how does that philosophy sway how you see some of the younger prospects that are being dreamed on in the way James Wood was 12, 18 months ago? You know, some of these guys maybe like Samuel Basayo, who you've got at 24, or maybe Walcott, Sebastian Walcott from uh, Texas, who was one of your fallers. Like with Walcott specifically, I would ask, you know, is that more of a case of course correction on a guy who maybe you felt you ranked too high or was there, you know, something that you felt might be really wrong with him, which led to that drop from 31 to 55. Um, and just yeah. on a like larger scale, how do you evaluate some of these younger guys who seem to be of similar profiles to James Wood and like how do you evaluate guys like Walcott or Basayo? I it's such a good question. I'm actually really glad you you asked that because it's something that I intentionally was thinking about as I was making this list um and kind of comparing the tiers. So James Wood um he does have a hit tool risk, but he's shown enough to me that I feel confident in the power 
and I feel confident in the hit tool as well to a certain degree. Like I don't, I don't really think that Wood is going to be a guy who bottoms out and isn't able to successfully hit big league pitching ever. Certainly, he could be a Joe Adele. I don't want to like put that out there, but like it could could bust. These are young prospects, but I don't really expect that. I don't think that is a likely outcome. Um, but with Basayo and with Walcott. I'll start with Walcott because he was a faller for me. I think he's one of my biggest fallers. And it's not because I am down or out on the player. I think it's more because I ranked him maybe a little too high or I went like a little bit aggressive. So as I was kind of saying earlier, like I do skew toward upside when I'm creating my fantasy lists for, for you know for dynasty points leagues. And I always want to be like the first to be on the next big thing. And Walcott was a 17-year-old. He signed literally last January in 2023 with the Rangers. And he skipped the DSL. He was in the DSL for like a week for like tax reasons. And then (laughs) completely skipped it. Went to the Arizona Complex League. And then went to, uh, I think he like went to like high A Hickory um, for like their postseason. Super aggressive for a 17-year-old, by the way. Like you don't really see guys come stateside. Um who just signed in literally January, like at the time, six months before. And I, I really felt like the, you know, the high end um, power and speed combination with Walcott was worth betting on. And I put him into that kind of tier in the, in like the 30 range of my rankings. I think upon further reflection, um, I was just maybe a little bit aggressive. I think that the hit tool does need some refinement there with Walcott. And I just couldn't see him alongside the likes of like Ethan Salas or Colt Emerson or Jet Williams or Lazaro Montes even. And I just kind of felt like I needed to see a little bit more out of him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have that same kind of upside, right? I certainly think Walcott has top 10 prospect upside still. It's still the same kind of profile. It's still the same player that I was betting on last summer. But I just, after further reflection and seeing how the hit tool played at the, the complex level, even though it was like an aggressive rank, I kind of just felt like I need to see a little bit more. I need to temper it a little bit more. I need to bring him down just a little bit. Um, but I'm super excited to see what he can do this year, and I still am very much high on Walcott, I think. Two more guys that I want to talk about today on this portion of the episode before we get out of our top 10. The first of them is Ethan Salas of the Padres, a guy ranked 5th on the Fangraphs Top 100 and 8th on uh, MLB.com's Pipeline rankings, and the type of player who, when you talk about what he's accomplished at his age it seems like this guy would be the surefire number one prospect in baseball because this is a catching prospect who signed last offseason out of venezuela i believe with san diego who played in spring training at the age of 16 and even doubled off of george kirby and then was sent to like low a as a 17-year-old, dominated the level and made his way all the way up to double A in a, like six months before he even turns 18. He still, at the time of recording, has not turned 18 years old. Meaning if he starts this season at the level he ended last year, plays half the season in 
double A and then plays another half the season in triple A, which given the rate of progress he's shown so far seems conservative, we would still be seeing the first 18-year-old big leaguer since Alex Rodriguez, and he would be doing it for a full season. So, like, not to say that that's going to actually happen. Like, I think it's very likely we see another, like, year and a half out of Solace in the minors, but, like, this is a guy who can be dreamt on arguably more than anyone else on the list, maybe. Like, Nick, what do you think of Solace, who I know you have ranked 33rd, but I assume that's for fantasy reasons, just that catcher ding that they all get. Yeah, it's the catcher ding. It's like, you know, how is he going to age offensively and also just like the oversaturation of catching. So like in Dynasty Baseball, it's basically everyone has a good catcher. So they don't really matter that much, um, as much as they used to at least. But no, um, none of that is to say that Salas um, can't be one of the best catchers in baseball, if not one of the best catchers in like a generation. Like I am still very much in on Ethan Salas um, as a prospect. Yeah, if I were ranking real life, he would be a no-doubt top 10 prospect for me. I think that as a teenager, his you know ability to call a game, to defend um, behind the plate is just otherworldly. I've never seen anything like it, truthfully. Um, and so are his plate skills, like, especially, again, like for a catcher. Like, I think that the offensive bar for a catcher is different than a lot of other positions. And, you know, he may not be like Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna. Like, we're not going to throw those comps out. But, like, for the catching position, this is one of the best offensive prospects we've seen. Um, certainly since Adley Rutschman and arguably even before that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the Padres has kind of realized very early on after they signed Solace that he's just simply way too advanced for the lower levels. Um, he's already calling games. His like English is like perfect, it's, like probably better than my English, honestly. <laughs> and um, that matters, though, when you when you talk about, a, you know, how you're calling a game. And, you know, at the plate, he's incredibly precocious as well. So. I think they were just like, yeah, you know, why not push this kid? Let's see what he, we got. Let's let's continue to challenge him. And I agree with you. I do think, though, we see 2024 as a full season in the minor leagues for Salas with the uh, potential to, you know, break camp in 2025 or be up very, very quickly in 2025 and actually get um, a lot of work with, you know, the pitching staff um, over these next two spring trainings. I'm curious how you view Solace's offensive production in a vacuum. Like, if you were a 17-year-old prospect in low A, high A, how they were shooting him up through the levels early last year, how would that be viewed if he were, like, another shortstop or center fielder like so many of those guys seem to be at that age? Like, would we still be talking about him as this, like, phenom or would it be a little bit more toward towards the level of a like yoendry vargas or walcott like we were talking about or one of those other like 17 year old guys doing very well at like a low level yeah it would probably be closer to a a yoendry vargas or walcott um just from a bat perspective i mean it's so hard to compare it was almost unprecedented what he did what once he got beyond a ball and he got to high a and then double a like those numbers are just like really um they, they kind of don't mean anything they were bad but they kind of don't mean anything at all and i don't take any stock into them whatsoever but at the end of the day like i do think i do think that he's a, a plus hitter and a, a plus power hitter as well so yeah um i would i would say that he you know as a, only a bat first prospect 
he is more in line with a Walcott or a Yo Andrew Vargas, who are the two top um, 2023 international signings. But I think that from a real life perspective, when you take the the position eligibility as a catcher, and then also from a fantasy perspective, when you take the fact that he is so advanced and he came stateside and you kind of proved it, you feel better about the profile too. It just feels like this is one of the safest teenage prospects you can imagine with all, also like a really high ceiling. Like it could be Adley Rutschman 2.0. I really genuinely believe that with Salas. The last guy that I want to touch on today before we let you go uh, for the week is Walker Jenkins from the Twins. One of the best bats we've seen from an 18-year-old prospect in years. Uh, His pro debut after following the 2023 draft should have Twins fans salivating. You ranked him at number eight on your list. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 26 and Pipeline at 10. believe Fangraphs a little bit lower for proximity reasons, but when ranking guys like this for fantasy purposes, how do you feel dreaming on Walker Jenkins? I fell in love with Walker Jenkins um, pretty much on impact <laughs> when he signed and before that too. I loved him, but when, you know, as a as a draft prospect, I think we, we were talking about him last summer um, pretty highly. But once he signed and he came to the Florida State League, it just became very apparent that this was not only the slugger that we thought he was, but also just a genuinely great hitter. Uh, I was so impressed with his ability as a left-handed batter to handle left-handed pitching. I was so impressed with, with his ability to spray all over the field um, and even take pitches the opposite way as a, as a young 18-year-old. And I just I think that the offensive ceiling here for Walker Jenkins is, is so high, I really. I, I think it could be a plus hitter and even maybe 70-grade power when it's all said and done. So if you're talking about prospects who could be, you know, the next big thing or the next number one overall prospect, blah, blah, blah. Don't want to, you know, crown him it already, but Walker Jenkins is certainly on a short list. Not to spoil a question that I plan to ask you next week, but uh, he's certainly on my short list as well. Nick, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I can't wait to have the rest of this conversation with you about the rest of the guys on this list. Uh, Thank you so much for going as deep as we did into these top 10 guys here. Uh, I know we're both super excited to see how some of these guys perform this year. And as always, it's just always phenomenal to have you on the pod. If anybody out there is unfamiliar with Nick, you can find him on Twitter at Prospect Sauce. He has some of the best takes out there about youngsters across professional baseball, and he's just one of the nicest guys out there, and he does it all for free. So really can't recommend his page enough. You'll follow Nick at Prospect Sauce. And if you're not familiar with us, we are Mudville. We are a podcast about baseball and cinema. I host it weekly with my good friend Brody Staub. You will be hearing more from me and him very, very shortly. Nick, do you have anything else you want to say before we, we sign off tonight? 
No, man. Appreciate uh, you having me. Excited to talk prospects with you next week. And yeah, go check out the top 250 that I just dropped for, for Fantasy Points Leagues uh, at Prospects Us. The link to that is going to be in the description for this episode. So go click on that. And thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been Mudville. I've been your host, Nolan Rabine. Goodbye. Thank you.